Hey guys, welcome back to uh, the Shuffle and Flow Show. This is our second second episode, and uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael. This is Nate, and Hola. that's Mr. Aaron Cash over at the end. Uh, so hey, we're gonna talk about some different things about dance and entertainment um, in today's episode, and I think we wanted to start about how each one of us got started and what was our motivation, who started us, how do we get started. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I wanted to start off with you because I find your journey particularly fascinating. How you started, you know, how it's evolved. Because you've also had many different lives, not just in dance. But really, uh, what I want to know is how you got started in dance. Indeed. So mm. I was an energetic child, <laughs> to say the least, um, that was the youngest of eight. And I was a big fan of The Carol Burnett Show. I would watch it every week and just be obsessed with not only Carol, but the dancers behind the, behind the scenes. And that's all I wanted to do was dance on TV from the moment I can remember. And uh, one day my dad came home and saw an ad in the paper and it was tap jazz and ballet, $10 a month, one class a week, 20 minutes in each discipline. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to go and I said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, I was lucky to have a dad that was so supportive. Yeah, he was uh, sure. a frustrated performer. Um, an unrealized dramatic actor because uh, he had eight kids and when it wasn't able to pursue that dream. Eight kids. Yeah, eight kids. That's rough. And so when he saw that I was interested in the arts, he encouraged that. He pushed me forward and uh, so yeah, I started. But that's also amazing so, at that time too. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. But at th that time, what, late 60s? Late 60s. I was going to say, is it early 40s or what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we started with the jitterbug. jitterbug. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, it was late 60s, and uh, my dad was pretty progressive, um, and my mom was, of course, really supportive. Uh, yeah, so I started in a little Dolly Dinkle dance studio with a cement floor and doing your warm-ups and across the floors, and about three, four years into it, oh, by the way, she was a Hawaiian specialist as well, so I had to take Hawaiian. Awesome. That entire three years. You should see in movies, hips. So, a little later, we'll give you a little demonstration. Uh, all in the hands. Back to my little grass <laughs> shot. So, yeah, I was taking Hawaiian. <laughs> and, of course, we did local mall shows and nursing home shows, and uh, that was showbiz. My mom, you're in showbiz now, son. Oh, man, we did all that food courts, oh, wow. shopping centers. Yeah. We didn't compete. Yeah. Oh, no, we weren't allowed to compete. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a false sense of performing. There you go. <laughs> but there so any go. food court, oh, yeah, we're there. We actually didn't compete either until I was about 10 years old, and I asked my teacher if I can compete in this big competition called the California State Talent Competition at the Santa Clara County Fairs. Fairgrounds, wow. yeah. And so she said no. And I said, well, that's not right. I'm going to make up my own jazz dance to Crocodile Rock. Oh, great song. And I'm going to enter myself into this contest with my mom's support. We went and, you know, thousands of kids and nobody from my studio. And I was just all alone, this little kid. Wow. I had a black jumpsuit and I didn't know what to do with it. So I stole my mom's necklace and I literally <laughs> sewed a scallop design along the V-neck of the left. Of the, of the jumpsuit, oh, the just to add a little bling. Fantastic. A little bling. And hey, I did Crocodile Rock and I got third place. Still to this day, that is one of the most fulfilling rewards I've ever gotten in my life. I got a wow. trophy for, for dancing, for something that I did. Oh, I'm in. I'm all yourself. in. Yeah. So, and I got a thousand bucks that says you can get sent up and do the choreography right now. <laughs> I kind of can, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I moved to a different studio. You know, go through all the trials and tribulations of being a little dancer in school and having to deal with all that. But 
it builds character, it builds resolve, it builds discipline, it, it, it builds resilience. Why did you move to a different dance studio? Uh, that teacher didn't like me moving my hips in jazz class too much. Oh, really? He's moving his hips too much. If I could stand up, I would be out of frame. But we did this thing where we did a step back, step back, and then turn the other way, turn the other way. Well, I added a little hip. Well, yeah. Oh, see, and I had a little back torso. Back. Uh, a little back back. Uh, 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 get the juice. No, 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 no. And so she had a student teacher teaching with her who liked my hips. <laughs> and I moved with her, went to start taking with her at a garage. Marianne Norris finally introduced me to Benny Smith, who was Charlie McGowan's teacher. One of the greatest teachers Steve in Northern Merritt, California. Steve uh, Merritt, uh, mm -hmm. so, Michelle, I mean, so many fantastic yep. dancers. Yeah, Mackey. Came out of the Benny Stif Smith studio. So I sort of trained with him until I was uh, 17, and then uh, started going professional. I got a, a big giant show, a big ski show, a big uh, traveling ski show back in Northern California. And it had started in November, my senior year, and we were gonna do a three month tour. And well, mom, I have to drop out of school. I can't stay in school and miss this tour. Okay, son. Because I had a B plus average, my mom said, you can drop out and take the GED and the proficiency and make sure you get your diploma as long as you continue working in show business. I said, okay, I'm gonna, work, I'm gonna do my best. The vice principal wouldn't let me drop out. Because you can't drop out. You're an A minus B plus student. What's happening? I need to go do my dance. So he calls my mom in. We have this big meeting. She says, yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. He's gotten all of his credits, and he's ready to go. So I drop out. I do the ski tour. And then the ski tour ends, and it's now February. And I'm twiddling my fingers going, OK, now I'm 18. What do I do? What do I do? Uh, so, you know, I ended up moving to Las Vegas, and my second day there, auditioned for a big show called the Lido de Paris at the Stardust that is no longer there, and I got the mm. job. Unbelievable, wow. I couldn't believe it. And they were paying me $400 a, a week oh, wow. to dance in this giant show that was, un I was in pig heaven. I think they're still paying the same amount of money. <laughs> they're still paying yeah. the same amount. So yeah, that was, that was sort of my trajectory. But how wow. did the university, because I know you, you went to universities. What, what, how? Education was super important to my mom right. and, and to me. Uh, so I vowed to get my college degree while I danced. So when I moved to Vegas, I went to UNLV as a business major. Uh, long story short, I ended up getting a scholarship to a private girls college in Columbia, Missouri to be with my fiance. Uh, a month before I was to leave, I met my husband, <laughs> my current husband and uh, sort of put all those plans into the air. And so I went ahead and went to Missouri on that scholarship, but it was a dance scholarship. Uh, and after six months, I realized that, you know, I knew how to dance. I really didn't need to stay for the dance scholarship. And I was eager to get back to my new life with my new boyfriend, soon to be husband. So uh, I went to the dance department head and I said, I'd like to stay at the university. I'd like to stay at the college, but let me double major in business and dance. And she wouldn't let me. So moved back to Vegas, went into UNLV, business major again, danced at night in the Siegfried and Roy show at the Frontier. Darkness and Light. Darkness and Light, Darkness Siegfried and Roy. Um, and did that until I got uh, an Italian TV series where I met Michelle Rudy, crazy. Uh, and that stopped my college degree for, or my college adventure for them. Um, so I went to Italy for six months, danced with all these dancers from New York, and was like, okay, I'm, my confidence is getting up. I can, I can hang with these guys. 
Went back to Vegas after that contract and said, hmm, I think I gotta give LA a try. My partner at the time was like, go, you'll just come back and forth, it's a four hour drive, that's fine. I went to LA with not knowing anybody, a couple thousand dollars in my pocket, and uh, I knew that there was an agent, Julie McDonald, and I knew I needed to get into a, a union. So... What year was that? Back in 85. Hmm. Back in 85, you could buy your way into AFTRA for $700. Yes. And then after a year, if you hadn't gotten a SAG job, you could automatically join SAG. So I heard that. The first thing I said, I'll just go buy into a to AFTRA so that you're accumulating that time yeah. so that you can get your SAG card in a year. So I got my AFTRA thing, uh, ended up getting some TV specials, got my first SAG commercial, a McDonald's commercial, and then just started working. Uh, not, I was lucky enough to you know, not have to get another job in Los Angeles for my 10 years. Now that being said, financially, I was able to save some money from not only the bread and butter jobs like a fashion show here or an industrial there, but when we're fortunate enough as dancers to get a residual payment or a, a foreign buyout, there used to be these foreign buyouts where Europe or Japan would come and audition all the dancers in LA, and then you'd film in LA and it would be just a commercial that would play in their country. And those were huge money buyouts. So to be careful with your money and realize you're getting these big lump, chums, lump sums of checks and to not spend those, right? To then mm -hmm. portion off what you need, not what you want to spend, but when you need, and then sock away everything. Because I always knew that this career was a finite, limited amount of time where you could really make money and really work hard in the industry for about 10 or 15 years. So that being said, I just considered every paycheck going right into the bank and taking minimal amount what I needed to live. You know? I always equate that to being a farmer. You got a crop, crop comes in, you sell your crop, you live on that money for the rest of the year. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, between, I'm a dreamer. I'm a, I'm a big picture, picture guy dreamer. that doesn't like to get mired in details. So I'll, I'll forge, full steam ahead into a project without sometimes thinking about all of the intricacies or ramifications or whatever. And I'm fortunate enough to have a partner who is grounded and pragmatic and realistic. So all of my lofty ideals and dreams were always grounded by this tether going, this is reality and mm -hmm. this is your idea and this mm -hmm. is where you want to. So you have to meet somewhere in the middle, mm. you know, whether that Dose of reality comes from your parents, a sibling, a lover, a best friend. I think it's always important to have that voice providing you with that dose of reality. Who gave you the advice financially? Was it Greg? Did it did, um, did, did help you think like that? Okay, I've got this residual check that's just coming. I need to sock that away. Yes, I come from a lower middle class family and there was never money to go around. I mean, my mom scrimped and saved just to send me to dance class, and that was a big luxury. So I always knew in my mind that I wanted a, a, a more elevated life than that, right. more freedom. And for me growing up, money equated freedom. I know that sounds sort no, of materialistic. No, not at all. But with, with money, you could say, fuck you to anybody. Yeah, it's a tool. It's you just know? another instrument. So in meeting Greg and having that pragmatic side, you know, he's like, what are you going to do if you have a broken leg? Oh, good question. I won't be able to work. And 
shouldn't you have a broken leg account? So that made me do a broken leg account. I always had $5,000 in a broken leg account, always. I never touched that money in case I anything. And then, okay, so now what's your investment idea? You need to have your money make money. Okay, well, that was back in the 80s when you could go get a year certificate of deposit. They called them CDs back mm -hmm. then. And it was mm -hmm. 8%. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you can yeah. imagine. So I'd get a you know a $10,000 residual check and wouldn't spend it at all. I'd put it right in, the, I'd buy a CD mm -hmm. at the little bank around the corner. And it's just about that accumulation, just building upon your successes and then investing. And people say, well, I'm, it's so confusing. I don't know what to invest in. And you know, there's so many different markets and ideas. It is, it's very confusing. But start with just saving. Yeah. Start with saving. Keep it simple. Keep can't it invest simple. unless you got something to invest, right? You can't invest unless you have money to invest. And so there's several ways to invest. And I always wanted to, I wanna buy a house. I, I, you know, real estate is a great investment. And then I looked, when I, in, in LA, as a working dancer, well, how am I gonna buy a house? And then I see people like Nathan, and Michael Higgins, who bought houses as an independent contractor, doing independent jobs, but having the wherewithal to say, I need something for my future. Mm. It's not just about today. Yes, I'm living in the moment, but I've got to prepare for my future. And so, again, those windfalls, you had a windfall check that you were able to you know, put a down payment on a place. I'm sure Michael Higgins had a windfall check. So it's about those windfalls that we all get as professional dancers once in a while, and then acting wisely on that. Mm -hmm. You know, what was your first investment? Um, first thing I ever did was, was open an IRA um, after I won Star Search in 88, or whatever mm -hmm. that was. Um, I now, for those a, a of tax you, for those of, what's an IRA? An IRA is an individual retirement account. And at that time, you could put $2,000 per year into the IRA, and it wouldn't show up as income. You could, it was a write-off. And um, now you can, I think it's 5,500 or something per year you can put into an IRA. Mm -hmm. um, and anybody and can start that. Anybody, anybody can, can start that at any time and you can choose which type of fund you put it into, whether it's a, a mutual fund, which is very diverse and very safe, but a lower yield or high, you know. High risk. Higher risk and, then, and a higher, higher or, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and you don't touch it until you're 65, theoretically. And uh, hopefully it keeps growing up. And if you put two to five to the maximum per year in it, um, Oh, you put it's in come, every year. Every yeah, year. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. So every you year. put every year you, when you need a write-off, or whether or not you need a write-off or not. It's like, okay, do I have this extra Starbucks? That's like $3 a day. People don't so realize. It's, $3 times it's $365. It's $6 a day. So that's 365 days. That's, okay, so I, I'm just, think of it as a Starbucks account. Six times three, $1,800. Bucks. That's oh, $1,800. Bucks. That's your IRA right there wow. for, for each year. So it's, it's really not as expensive as you think it is. And it is exponentially huger so by the time you're 65 all of a sudden there's six million dollars in there because it's been gaining interest all this time not just on what you invested but what it's grown to right that makes sense so it's well it's a it's the concept behind compound interest. compound interest and exactly. that is every investment advisor will say money your money making money on compounded interest is the best way to financial success right so if i put a thousand dollars in and i made ten percent on that thousand dollars What's 10% of $1,000? That's $100. So next year, if I left it alone, I would be making interest on $1,100, not just 1,000. Right. To, to explain right. it the, most, the simplest way right. I can understand right. it. Right. What about your investment you ideas? Know, I'm, I'm completely useless and pissed away all my money, basically. So I'm the opposite. 
you know, and, and then I, I, my first investment, I bought an investment property, but then, you know, I, I took a risk on producing my own show and I pissed away about $180,000, you know. Well, I you have invested couple, in yourself. Yeah, but it didn't pan out. But the skills that I got, and I look at that in a way as, okay, that was my master or my doctorate. Because, you know, if you're going to go back to university, I've never been to university. I left school at 15. So I learned so much about myself in doing that. But then at the end of the day, you know, my wife punishes me for it. Uh, maybe it was a stupid and irresponsible move. But I've always been one to put my balls on the line and, and take a risk. Mm -hmm. And that was a risk. It didn't pan out. But it also made me realize, like you said, I invested in myself. I developed a whole new set of skills that I never had before and I realized I could do these things. I mean, I have some stocks and things like that, but nothing huge. Mm -hmm. um, I'm fortunate that I've got a partner that, you know, it, yeah, I was really, I've been really irresponsible with my money. Really irresponsible. You know, so um, I have probably about 60 grand in a superannuation account. Which is for you know, which is like the IRA, I guess you know, but in, in, in Australia that's increasing. Okay. But that's about all I have. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Uh, so it's sort of like a 401k, I uh -huh. guess. Uh -huh. um, otherwise, yeah, you know, that's why I think it's important to talk about these things because you guys have been very responsible with your money, and I certainly haven't been. Well, um, there's something to be said for not only creating financial wealth from your art which is what we've been fortunate enough to do. But then as you get later on in your career and the artistic jobs start to wane away, but you don't want to let go of that, you, you've got a lot of free time, right? And as dancers, we're so curious, we're so disciplined in our nature, we're so eager for that next high. And I guess that next high comes from learning something new, from being exposed to something new. Go ahead. No, well, that you touched on something there because I know in our conversations before, which I want you to talk about, is that addiction, is that high, that constant around the corner, and half the reason you got out of it, um, and what you realize, and the whole gaming thing, because Greg's in gaming. Yeah. Well, can you expand on that? Yeah. So the idea of uh, in psychology, there's a, a term called interval reward, and the gaming industry, the slot, uh, the not the video gaming industry, but the casino gaming industry, uses interval reward to keep gamblers coming back. Mm -hmm. So the slot machine is an interval reward. You don't know when you're going to win, but you know you're going to win. Uh, blackjack, uh, marjan, whatever it is, it's an interval reward system. So you're getting this endorphin, this serotonin rush every time you win, and you keep playing to get that rush again. It's an addiction. It's, you get addicted to that rush that feel good feeling. So as dancers, we get addicted to that rush of performing, of being lost in the music, mm -hmm. being lost in the movement. It can come from a class situation, it can come from an audition situation, or a performance situation. Mm -hmm. But as artists, we can get lost in, in, in that sublime. It's very addictive, yeah. Very addictive, right? So as we go to auditions, we keep going and we keep going because we know, keep pulling that lever, the big win is coming. It's just around the corner. And that phone call from your agent is gonna ring tomorrow. I know it is, the next big job's coming along. So you can't take vacation. You're scared that, to take vacations. Yeah. You're scared to take another job. You're scared to move, to 
you're, you're always always on your phone or email. Who, you're, you're, email. You're checking yeah. so now it's social media. Who got this job? Who's doing what? You've got to constant. You're driven. You're driven, and it's that addiction to that mm -hmm. next high, to that next reward, to your your reward centers. It's fucking exhausting. And it's exhausting. Yeah, because your adrenals are dying. They get depleted. Your yeah, adrenal glands time. get depleted from so much false serotonin push. Yeah, it's it's. So I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober 23 years. And so learning about those addictive qualities um, has re really helped me sort of mm. clarify my position in dance and helped separate my identity as Michael Chambers, the dancer, and Michael Chambers as the person. Mm. Because so often as artists, we identify with our art. Oh and yeah, that is not what the, I do, it's who I am. It's not, exactly. And you judge yourself, your whole persona on what the identity to your art is. I failed in that audition, therefore I'm a failure as oh, a dancer. Yeah, I'm a piece of shit. And I'm a failure in life. Uh, I'm a failure in life. Yeah, because you go like this, you go, eh, look, you see, you like yeah, it, you, you like see? it? Oh, you don't like it? Oh, okay. Uh, I'll put it back in, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we're always comparing ourselves to someone in class, to someone at the audition, to someone mm -hmm. on TV. You know, we're doing those comparisons that constantly make us feel less than and then when, when, again, when we get that job, it's that, oh, I am, I'm, 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 I'm doing the right thing. And we mm -hmm. get that push. Mm -hmm. And so it just drives us to, to be connected to that next But the ego job. feeds it as well, because when you get that big job, oh. and then you can brag with your friends and yeah. I'm doing this, you know, or, oh. or you know, you, you go up to someone, oh, what are you doing right? You're defined by what you're doing. What are you doing right now? Right. You know, when you're younger, definitely, I mean, now, you know, that. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't evolved. updated my resume in like five years. <laughs> I know I should. Exactly. But yeah, I really don't care. I don't watch the stuff I've been on on TV. I do it because, well, my rush is like get those. Re I don't even look on the SAG website <laughs> to see if I'm getting residuals. I still love going to the mailbox and going, got something? Every quarter. Yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And a, it happens still all the time. Stuff. And it's fun, fun, fun. <laughs> Absolutely. It might be 12 cents and it might be $3,000. You don't know. Hey. You know, jobs that I did 15, 20 years ago, I'm still getting residuals from. Mm -hmm. I get more money from Titanic and Hook <laughs> than I do from jobs that I did, like Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. because the creative bookkeeping's changed now, and producers right. got wise. Sure. Right. We don't make anywhere right. near what we used to make. Right. Mm -hmm. right. I still get great mm -hmm. checks from Titanic. So yeah. I, I think my 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 sort of takeaway from that separation of identity through art and identity to, as my own person was when in my 30s, you know, and that sobriety offers so much clarity and not having to fill your void with drinking and partying and hanging with your friends, you have to find other outlets for your energy. Yeah. I have a lot of energy. Most dancers, dancers have a lot of energy. And that energy can get you into bad news or it can get you into good news. Mm -hmm. And you have to be the, cho the, 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 the arbiter of that choice. So mm. all, said. all those downtimes that you have, for instance, I moved out of town for a period of time. I had to move to uh, Windsor, Canada with my husband uh, in 95. Was that a hard choice? So it was an incredible choice. I, I had an active career in Los Angeles, a, a production company in Las Vegas. And my husband came to me and said, look, we have an opportunity to change our entire lifestyle if we move to Windsor. You can move, you can fly and do your jobs and go to Vegas and go to LA. and." And that's in fact what I did the entire three years that I was there. Mm -hmm. However, on the down downtime in in Detroit, where we lived in Royal Oak, you know, and the snow's coming down and the the streets are closed, and you're going, okay, what do I do? 
Well, guess what? That's when America Online, that's when internet started in 95. Mm -hmm. And as a dancer, I had never done any computers. So I took that whole year and taught myself Excel and Word and mm -hmm. how the internet works. And I had never done any of that. And as learning how to, okay, I'm learning how the Word program works and how the Excel program was. Well, oh my goodness, now I can write my shows. So now I start having these creative ideas. I'm gonna start mm -hmm. writing shows. I don't know where it's gonna go. I'm just gonna start writing shows. That mm -hmm. energy, that creative energy mm -hmm. builds upon itself and the, it's a law of attraction, right? Yeah. That, that yeah, yeah, like yeah, attracts yeah. like. So as you put that energy toward something you like, the ball will keep rolling. Yeah. So I started creating the shows, you know, not for any purpose. Random phone call from a good friend, Chris Allen, who was a dancer in Los Angeles and moved to Las Vegas and started producing, said, hey, do you got any shows? Let's start doing some shows. I said, yeah, I do. I got shows. I got shows. <laughs> we found a production company and a, a friendly uh, uh, sponsor in Larry Lee at Encore Productions. Mm. And he gave us all this money to produce these concepts, these proposals of these shows that I had, sent us out to cruise ships. I gotta say, it's kind of a, that doesn't happen. It doesn't yeah. happen. That it doesn't, doesn't happen. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to sell a couple of shows that Chris and I created mm -hmm. to Royal Caribbean that ran for six, nine years. Um, and it was, it was just really a blessing. Mm -hmm. But it was from that downtime, it was from that bleak, bleak period of sobriety and Detroit and snow and what am I gonna do with my life? And you know, mm -hmm. Aaron and I have talked, you don't work for six weeks and all of a sudden your life is over, I'm a failure, where it's just around the corner, am I creating something new? Is the phone gonna ring? It's that addiction thing again. Mm -hmm. And it keeps you coming back. Well, I wasn't ready to close the door on the business. So, you know, keep pushing, keep creating. We had an opportunity to move back to Las Vegas in 98, move back, start my production company, start doing all kinds of shows. I was lucky enough to have some great producing partners mm -hmm. that, again, I really didn't seek out, but once you start that ball rolling, mm -hmm. the law of attraction sort of so brings you. The right people come these, into play. These people. And, yeah. You know, I like to think of it as the universe is your manager. You just tell the manager what you want, mm. then step back and let your manager handle it. Mm -hmm. You get too mired in and micromanaging. I gotta do it this way, I gotta do it that way. trajectory, it doesn't yeah. leave the universe open to then provide you for opportunity mm. that may take you down a different path, mm -hmm. but guess what? It's a path towards success. Because if that's what you're intending, joy, success, health, love, whatever, send out those, I know it sounds really kumbaya, but it really, it, it really is effective. Yeah, but you're also putting in the work. You're, you're putting you, in the work you're and you're keeping the energy you're keeping going the energy. out. You wrote the things. shows. You wrote the show. You sat down and wrote the show. You can't wait for things come to you as, a, as an artist. You have to keep creating. And I always think about, you know, dancers and artists of every stripe judge their own work from inside the work. Imagine you're a painter and you're painting your painting inside the painting and you're judging the work from inside your painting. How can you do that? You have no perspective. How can you, with altitude, Judge your own work. So I learned mm -hmm. to stop judging my own work a long time ago. Mm. Let other people judge it. Mm. I'm happy with mm -hmm. it. It can get better. Everything can always get better. And if it's art, art is subjective art anyway. Art is subjective. It doesn't, back to the other point, art does not contend, can't compete. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, to, to stop that endless cycle of self-judgment and self-defeat and just stay in the moment, be your creative self, continue to create no matter what, 
without an intended outcome sometimes, like when those shows. I'm that, just gonna use these newfound computer skills and start creating. Don't be result orientated. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, being result, focusing on the result rather than the process. Exactly really sometimes will gum up the works. Yeah, it's the joy of creating. And I think you have to be in that space and not let the ego go, oh, where's this gonna take me? And just go, no, bugger that. I'm doing this because you're an artist. And I think you have to, to be creative, find your own creative voice and trust in that. And it, it doesn't need to lead anywhere. It might lead you to the next step, wherever that's gonna go. Like you say, that might right. take you down a different path, but you're putting it out there. You've got to do the work. You can't just sit at home and go, oh, law of attraction is gonna take care of me. If you put in the action, totally. then- That's right, that's right. You know, there's there's really curious. Uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. Sorry. That's right. I think we got to wrap it up. Anyways, that be sound rolling. Yeah, we're getting the cue from the sound. Ah. Our Sam and Ro right. Rolando. We'll continue this next time. We, we, Thanks we, for tuning in. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Uh, any final words? Uh, listen to the wisdom. This guy knows what he's talking about. Listen to the wisdom. The guru. Hey, we will continue this discussion in episode three. Make sure and check back. And thanks for tuning in. Peace yeah. out. Be kind to each other. And vote. Before we cut <clears throat> on your intro, did you want to mention Roxanne's? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So yep. go into that intro again, up to the part where you tossed to him about his experiences. Well, you know well, we just put it at the end now. We just say, hey, look, you know, thanks for. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks no, for. I would, it should be at the top. Oh, I should the top. Yeah, okay. Just, hey, welcome to episode two. You know, we're coming to you from Roxanne's. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right, Mike. And then bring up to the part where you tossed him. All right. Yeah, still rolling. Hey guys, welcome to Shuffle and Flow Part Two. We're here at the beautiful Roxanne's Bar and Grill in beautiful Long Beach, California. Uh, episode two, we're gonna talk about journeys today. What do you think? It's a great idea. I think I wanna start with you. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that? Okay. All right, good. All right. Cutting.